when you think about Jesus and his character, what comes to your mind? If you're if you like me, probably what comes to our mind is his compassion, his kindness, the fact that he came to die for the sinners sacrificially. And in fact, you probably have heard some people say things like this. I like Jesus in the New Testament, but the God of the Old Testament, you know, he tends to get angry. But brothers and sisters, the Old Testament God is the same God of the New Testament. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our God is the same God that characterized by steadfast love throughout the ages. And as we'll see in the today's text, Jesus in the, in the New Testament is indeed gentle and lowly and compassionate. But it may be surprising that he gets angry. He does get angry, yet without sin. His anger is very real, yet very different from the anger that yours, anger that comes from you or me. And could it be that his anger is actually good for us? So we look into this question as we go through today's passage in Mark chapter 3. But before we get into Mark 3, um, it may be helpful for us to go back to Mark chapter 2 briefly. So if you have your Bible, you can refer to it. But I'll just uh, summarize the key, uh, key points. Because today's passage is part of five confrontations that Jesus faces in the early chapters of Mark with the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious rulers of, the, of that time. So if you may remember in chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 2, <laughs> four friends bring a paralytic through the roof because there was no space in the room where Jesus was teaching. And Jesus healed the paralytic, but before he heals him, he forgives his sin. And the scribes and the Pharisees are outraged. That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sin except God alone? The next story was about calling a tax collector, Levi, who's later called also Matthew, um, and then going to a dinner party with the sinners and tax collectors. And the Pharisees accused Jesus of sinning because he's associating with the sinners and tax collectors. And they accused then Jesus' disciples of not fasting, which was a religious tradition that, that they, need, they need to follow. Then on a Sabbath day, the Pharisees accused Jesus of letting his disciples do what they consider to be unlawful, that is picking grain on the Sabbath. So you see that the conflict continue and keep escalating. The Pharisees are getting more and more unhappy with this Jesus, and the conflicts are about to reach a boiling point. So today's text is another confrontation between Jesus and the religious rulers. By the way, the religious rulers, you know, for us uh, in our contemporary society, we think of Pharisees, uh, you know, we just automatically think, oh, those are the bad guys. But they were the good guys. They were the religious rulers. Um, and they were against the Roman rule. So let's try to understand why and how Jesus gets angry. What does that mean for us? So as we begin to this passage, we look at the story in four scenes. Withered hands, watchful eyes, wrath of Jesus, 
and the wicked plan that will conclude with what our response should be. So scene one, withered hand. Let me read verse one again. I'll be reading from ESV, but it's very similar to NIV. The verse one says, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. Luke's passage, a parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, gives a little bit more detail. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So to, today's incident also happens on a Sabbath day, probably in Capernaum, where the other incidents, incident took place. And as all of the God-fearing Jews would do, Jesus and his disciples go to synagogue, to worship God on the Sabbath day. And whenever Jesus went to the synagogue, he was there to teach. And while he was teaching, he sees the man with a withered hand. The Greek verb withered indicates that this man was not born with this condition, but that it was likely a result of an injury or sickness. And other historical documents indicate that he was a stonemason. So we can imagine that perhaps he was injured, his right hand was injured while he was cutting stone. And now that his right hand was injured, he probably could not work, he was disabled. And Jesus noticed this man with a withered hand. Perhaps he was a regular worshiper, desperately praying that God would heal him, or he may have been there to beg seeking compassion of other worshipers. But here, while Jesus was teaching, he sees the man, <coughs> excuse me, he sees the man has compassion. Jesus tends to show up when they're hurting people, and he approaches and calls on them. There's no indication of the man saying anything to Jesus, any, any, any asking for help from Jesus. Jesus is the one who notices and approaches. He's the compassionate. He's the one that's drawn to the hurting. And brothers and sisters, isn't that what we also experience in ourselves? You know, we were just praying for some of the folks, Debbie and family of Dr. Zidi. When you are going through a struggle, when you are sick, and your family is hurting, isn't it often that we experience God's compassion even more generously? Perhaps it may be through God's people coming around you or through people calling you, bringing you food to remind you of God's goodness. We experienced this when our first child was born here also um, because we came here in, at the end of August, uh, 35 years or so ago, and our child was born uh, in, in October. But anyway, if you're going through a struggle, turn to Jesus as he invites you. Jesus calls, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is compassion to the hurting. But now let's move to scene two, watchful eyes. Verse two and three says, and they watch Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. The pronoun here, they, are the Pharisees. Of course, the Pharisees would be at the synagogue. They were the religious leaders. 
But on this day, they were not there to worship. Instead, they were to watch Jesus and to accuse him. They also see the man with the withered hand. But for them, it's not compassion that they feel. The disabled man is simply a pawn in their scheme. Their ears are not focused on what Jesus was teaching. They were watching to look for the opportunity when they could catch him so they can accuse him. They're watching to see what Jesus would do regarding this man with the withered hand, the disabled man. And they know that Jesus has the power to heal. They've seen him heal. By now, his fame has spread everywhere, and people are flocking to Jesus to, to hear him teach and to see him heal. So they will bring all the sick and the demon-possessed in the region. But the Pharisees were passionate in protecting their way of practicing religion. So they developed all kinds of rules beyond what the Bible says. Maybe with good intention, they were trying to make things practical so that the people can more easily follow the Mosaic laws. But the traditions had become the law. So regarding the Sabbath, Mosaic law prohibited work on the Sabbath so they can rest and worship God. But they created, the Pharisees created additional rules. It's like 39 of them that, was that make it strictly forbidden to do certain things on the Sabbath. So for example, it was wrong to kindle a fire, or even for cooking, or to gather fuel for home, or to transact business, or do any kind of healing. So healing would be a form of a work, form of service. So if Jesus heals the man, they got him. And by their interpretation of law, Jesus would be a clear lawbreaker. Pharisees permitted, did actually permit healing, but only for the sake of saving a life. But this man's problem was, was not life-threatening. So if Jesus healed him today, they could accuse him of breaking the law. And according to Exodus, the Mosaic law, it says, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. So it was an offense punishable by death. So the Pharisees went out at the synagogue to worship. They were there to trap Jesus, to catch him in the act of compassion and accuse him of breaking the law. They don't doubt that Jesus has the power to heal, but will he really heal on the Sabbath day and hence break their law? You can feel the tension. They're watching Jesus. They're putting Jesus on trial there. So this was a trap. They have seen Jesus to be compassionate with power to heal. And if he heals the man, they got him. Jesus could have just told the disabled man to meet him tomorrow so that he can heal his hand. That would have been perfectly a good thing to do. It would have, been avoid, would have avoided any kind of conflict with the Pharisees. But look at what Jesus does. He calls on the man and tells him to come forward. And the scornful eyes of the Pharisees are not fixed on the man with the withered hand. The man was probably embarrassed fearful and wondering what was going to happen. 
but he comes forward perhaps because he knew that in the past Jesus had healed many people in the town. But will Jesus heal him on the Sabbath? Can he trust this Jesus and face the anger of the Pharisees and probably rejection by the religious rulers? Jesus tends to do these miracles very publicly in the Bible. Leading and following Jesus is not private or some mystical thing, but it's identifying with Jesus even when it doesn't seem like a popular thing to do. I want to speak especially to the young, young people here. It's good to see a lot of young people. It is not popular to follow Jesus in our current culture. But that's what Jesus calls us to, simply follow him, even when it's not popular, even when the society seems to be against following Jesus. The eyes of the Pharisees are now fixed on this man standing in front of the synagogue. They're thinking that he's not about to die. He's been injured for a while. So healing this man would be violating their Sabbath rules. Everybody in the room knows that this is the issue. The disabled man knows that this is the issue. The congregation of the synagogue knows that this is the issue. Jesus knows that this is the issue. So now we move to scene three, the wrath of Jesus. All right, it's okay. Uh, you can look at verse four. The wrath of Jesus, and he said to them, verse 4, is it lawful in the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the men, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus could have waited until the next day. But he intentionally hesitated the conflict because he knew what was on their heart. Jesus asked, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save or to kill? On one level, in our first reading, it seems like Jesus is asking them, it should be okay for me to do good, isn't it? But he's really asking, don't you know that is it better for me to do good and heal this man even on the Sabbath. By asking this question, Jesus is reminding them of the scripture that they should know. So for example, in Proverbs 3, I'll read this. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. The Pharisees and the scribes were experts in the Old Testament scriptures, they should have known. So Jesus is declaring to them, you should know the scriptures. It is better to show compassion, especially on the Sabbath day. But there is actually a deeper, another layer of meaning that Jesus is speaking. In both parts of the question, to do good or to harm, to save life or to kill, is actually exposing the heart of the Pharisees. He's asking, isn't it better for you, the Pharisee, to desire to do good 
than try to harm by setting a trap and accusing me, accusing me of trying and trying to kill me. Jesus is addressing their hearts and asking them, shouldn't you be desiring to do good? Shouldn't you, the Pharisee, be desiring to do good and to save life? Jesus came to teach and to heal and to save. They came to accuse and to kill. The Pharisees had no interest in the life of this poor man. Their only interest was to figure out how to get rid of Jesus, how to charge him with law-breaking and blasphemy. They felt threatened of losing their power and authority. To them, Jesus was dangerous. The Pharisees could not answer. They were silent. How could they? They knew the right answer. But if they say, of course it is better to do good, they would be guilty of lack of compassion. But if they say, no, it is not lawful, they knew that despite their traditional rules, the scripture was against them. So they would be guilty of not obeying the scripture and instead sticking with their traditions. So they remained silent. And their silence was far louder than any words they could have spoken there that day. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their heart. Jesus got angry. Jesus showed his emotion. The original Greek, original Greek word, orge, is very clear in the intensity of emotion. It means wrath, anger, strong displeasure and hostility. It was an emotion of profound anger in the context of what the Pharisees were doing. By the way, this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is explicitly used of Jesus to describe his emotion. Was he angry at other times? Yeah, you probably, many of us remember that or recall the incident when Jesus drove out the merchants and the money changers of the temple twice, actually, in the beginning of his ministry and at the end, towards the end of his ministry. But this Mark passage, the only time it actually says Jesus got angry using the word organ. So why was he so angry? It was anger and grief mixed together at their hardness of heart. The idea is that heart had become calloused. You know how one develops callousness on our hands or on our feet when there's repeated friction, repeated rubbing against the flesh. The repeated friction causes skin to develop a hard protective layer. So for these Pharisees, the repeated rejections of grace and compassion of Jesus have developed callousness on their hearts. The previous encounters with Jesus should have shown them that the Messiah was here, the one that they had claimed to be hoping for. They were in the presence of the very God they had claimed to be waiting. But they were blinded by their own traditions and rules. So instead of understanding what the scripture has said about the Messiah, they repeatedly rejected him. Jesus did not fit their picture of what the God should be like. 
Jesus showed and taught that the kingdom of God has come. So instead of welcoming this king, he felt threatened and resisted and wanted to hold on to their power. They, they had decided what their God looks like, and he was not the God of the scriptures, but God of their own rules and traditions. The more they heard and seen the actual Son of God, the more they resisted. Their desire for authority and traditions was not compatible, compatible with the grace and power of Jesus. So their hearts had become harder and harder. And this is what Jesus was grieved about. Jesus loved them, wanted them to receive this kingdom, but they would have none of it. This rejection of the grace of God is what causes Jesus to be angry and grieved. It's a righteous, holy anger over sin of repeated rejection of God's goodness and grace. And this is a warning for us today. Theologian Sinclair Ferguson warns us, if Christ will not soften my heart and transform my heart and fill my heart with joy, and the friction of the message of grace that I resist produces in me a heart callousness. So Jesus was angry. But that word probably still makes us a bit uncomfortable. And I think that's because when we get angry, when you and I get angry, it's usually quite different than how Jesus got angry. With us as fallen men, anger comes from the desire to retaliate, to punish those by whom we feel wronged. This for us, anger springs from self-love, self-protection, and leads to irrational reaction. In our relationships, when, whether it's between spouse and between spouses or even between parents and children, when we get angry, very rarely it will be a righteous anger. Our anger often is a result of our sin and leads to more sin. And we see this about human anger uh, later in this verse 6, when the Pharisees angrily leave the synagogue to conspire to kill Jesus. <coughs> in the contrary, for Christ, his anger sprang from the love of God and love of his people. His character is love. His character is not wrath. His character is not anger. His character is love. And his love causes him to be angry at injustice and hardness of heart. He never sinned. He came into this world as fully human, so he experienced the full spectrum of human emotion. But he was perfectly human and at the same time perfectly God. So he never sinned in response to his emotion. He had to become totally like us and yet without sin. So throughout the gospel, you will note that, interestingly, Jesus does not get angry at other sinners. Not at the tax collectors. Not at the prostitutes. Well, not even when his own disciple Peter betrayed him. Jesus came for the sinners. So he reaches out to the out-and-out -out sinners with arms open wide. He came to sinners and welcomed sinners who opened to the gospel. But with the religious hypocrites 
who knew the truth but rejected the truth again and again, Jesus showed little patience. Jesus gets angry at the hardness of their heart. Perfect love and perfect anger go together. Jesus' anger is good for us. If Jesus did not get angry at sin and injustice, he would not be a good God. Late pastor and theologian and a counselor, David Paulison, in his book, Good and Angry, which is where I borrowed the title, sermon title from, you can't understand God's love if you don't understand his anger. Because he loves, he's angry at anything that harms those he loves. We could probably relate to that, especially when our loved ones are unjustly treated. That makes us angry, and that's a good anger. If we don't get angry at someone mistreating our loved one, there will be something wrong with us. Jesus was driven by compassion for the man with the withered hand. So Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So with all eyes fixed on this man, Jesus tells the man to stretch out his hand. The man trusts in what Jesus can do, and in the power of Jesus' words, and he stretched out, and his hand was restored. Jesus healed the man. The congregation is stunned, both at the wonder of the miracle and at the fear of what the Pharisees are now going to do. Jesus spoke to the man with a simple command, stretch out your hand. And the man trusted, obeyed, and received the healing. But sadly, the same grace caused the heart of the Pharisees to be even more hardened. Their heart was set on wanting to destroy Jesus. So now we move to scene four, wicked plan. Verse 6 says, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. In the parallel Luke passage, it says, they were filled with fury, discussed one another what they might do to Jesus. The people should have been celebrating and praising God for this miraculous healing. The man who could not use his hand and could not work, now his hand was restored. Mark does not record any celebration. Any room for celebration may be muted because the Pharisees were not furious and stormed out the building. They were filled with mad fury. They hated this Jesus who attacked their self-righteous spiritual pride. So they hold a council with the Herodians to scheme how to destroy Jesus. They were actually breaking their own Sabbath rule because now they are having a business meeting with the Herodians. These two groups, by the way, had nothing in common. Herodians were the supporters of Herod the Antipas who beheaded John the Baptist. And they were the collaborators of the Roman government. They wanted the Roman government to stay. So they were both, the Pharisees and the Herodians were basically political enemies. No common ground except that each saw Jesus as a threat. They both wanted status quo, but Jesus was transforming everything. 
So they set out to destroy Jesus. So what is our response to this message? So we, we saw two very different responses to Jesus' grace in today's passage. So first, the man with the withered hand simply obeyed and trusted Jesus to heal him, despite inviting the wrath of the Pharisees. The story does not record any dialogue from him, only that he listened to Jesus and obeyed what Jesus had called him to obey when Jesus had called him to come to the front and stretch out his hand. His simple obedience resulted in his hand being restored. He can get his job back. We can picture him showing up his healed hand with joy and amazement and thanksgiving. Jesus is compassionate to the humble who recognize that they need a savior. Then we see the second response from the Pharisees. Their heart was hardened, calloused, and they would not see the goodness of Jesus' compassion and his power. They refused to see that Jesus is the God that they have been waiting for. Instead, they see that it's either them or Jesus. Either they'll keep their power and, or they'll lose their power and authority to, to Jesus. So they reject Jesus. They set out to destroy Jesus. And this was, by the way, this is the early part of Jesus' ministry. So that continued throughout his three-year ministry. So dear friends, what is our, our response? Would you welcome this Son of God and simply trust him? Or do we prefer to hold on to our desire to rule our own lives and our own plans? The attractions of this world, the friendship with the world, they seem much better than friendship with Jesus. Our plans for our lives may seem much better than trusting Jesus with his plan. Dear brothers and sisters, as we looked at this very challenging thought of Jesus being angry, let's run to his grace and trust him. Thankfully, no matter how hard we may have been, how many times we may have rejected Jesus? If we turn to him, God tells us in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. Yes, Jesus got angry at sin. But the anger that our sin deserves fell on Jesus. So let's turn to our God, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And then let Jesus, who is gentle and lowly, soften our heart when we turn to him. Friends, do not keep running away from this grace of Jesus. Trust Jesus to be our king. Let's pray.